as the reality of our spiritual position in Christ. And that's what Romans speaks about. Also to know that we have been declared righteous by God. By God the Father through the merits and the blood of Jesus. So we are learning a lot. Are you enjoying Romans? Yeah? It's great. There's a lot of things there. And the Lord wants to speak to us today. So today's message, the title is Dead and Alive. Dead and Alive. And this is, this is, these are the news today. You are dead. Yeah. Good news, right? <laughs> you are dead. But also, you are alive. And we're going to understand this uh, spiritual principle today together. Um, the first part of this sermon, I divided the sermon in two sections. You know, it's quite a challenge to go through Romans as a preacher. You know, verse by verse. Uh, you don't want to miss anything. But you also have to, to know that you have 40 minutes. Well... I don't know if we have made 40 minutes yet with Pastor Roy. Probably not. <laughs> um, try my best today because today we have communion and a couple of things more. But um, I've, I've decided to divide today's message in two sections. The first one, and you will see it in your bulletin. But by the way, the introduction to the chapter, I wrote it here because of space and also because of time. So you can take the bulletin home and you can read it later. Uh, and it has this title, Identity, Destiny, and Journey. And I believe that the Lord wants to reveal to us our true identity in Christ, our destiny in Christ, so we get to know what is our journey in this life. You know, how to get there. So I invite you to read it later, take it home. If there's no more copies, you will find it in the website later too. So um, let's read together verses 1 and 2 of Romans 6. I'm using the ESV. And it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Here we see Paul and, uh, you know, in his uh, unique way of writing, he, um, he raised a question. The question is, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And this is Paul writing. So his way of writing is very uh, unique to him. I mean, he always raises a question and then he, he shows a couple of arguments to, to, uh, to reach a final conclusion. So here Paul is saying, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's a yes or no question. It's pretty simple. What do you believe? What do you think? No. He says it right there, by no means. Paul's answer to this question is categorical. He says, by no means, no way, no, no. De ninguna manera, if you speak in tongues, right? No, 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 big no, no. There's a big no, no in, uh, in, 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 in our Christian walk. And it's uh, that right now we have been bought with the... With a high price, the price of the blood of Jesus. And now we have been called to live this journey that is called holiness. In just a few words, Paul explains why we can't go back to a sinful lifestyle. He says, how can we who die to sin still live in it? Now, let me tell you something about sin. Sin always brings suffering. Right? You know that? Sin always brings suffering. So if you want to live a life 
a better life? The answer is pursue a life of holiness. And you will suffer the less. Here Paul is saying, by no means. We can't go back to a sinful lifestyle. We have been bought by the, by the blood of Jesus. And even more, we, we are dead. It says right there, we are dead to sin. Turn to your neighbor. Turn, turn to your neighbor and said, you're looking at a dead man walking right here. You know? I hope I don't smell like a dead man. But, <laughs> yeah. We are dead. And that's the, the first news today. The answer of Paul in verse 2. So, so direct. He says, by no means, right away. Clearly the scriptures teach us that it is impossible for the Christian to return to a sinful lifestyle after encountering Jesus Christ. It is impossible. Paul didn't agree with the philosophy that claims that uh, you can go on in life sinning. Not singing, eh? Sinning. <laughs> As much as you want, since God will always forgive you. You know, there's some people that believe that. I can do whatever I want. God's grace and love is so huge, so great, that He will forgive me everything and anything. That's not what Paul is saying here. That's not what God is saying in the Bible. The answer of Paul is very logical. We simply can't keep on living in sin because we have died to sin. Simple. This is how the NIV translates verse 2. It says, by no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You know? And this is the spiritual truth that the Holy Spirit wants us to understand today. We are dead to sin. Alright? Amen? We are dead to sin. Now, we must make some clarifications on this subject. First... The fact that we are dead to sin doesn't mean that sin is dead in me. Alright? I am dead to sin. But that doesn't mean that sin is dead in me. I'm still fighting with this flesh. I still have to engage in a battle with the world. With the pressures of the world. With the desires of the world. I'm still in the midst of a spiritual battle against Satan and demons. You know, so we are in a battle. We are struggling. And second, although we are still in this body and we still have to battle with our flesh, our true nature, our true nature is Christ in us. Christ in us is our true nature. That's how God is seeing you right now through Jesus. He sees Christ in you. And this will change the way we relate to other people. If I get to know now, and I realize that in my wife, it, it is not only my wife. She's a believer, so Christ is also living in her. How I will treat her, knowing that Christ is in her. How she will treat me, knowing that Christ is in me. You know, how we will treat each other, knowing that we are brothers and sisters. And the same Christ that lives in me, lives inside of you. So that's a really important principle right there. Now, I believe that God likes to use symbols. I know that, uh, I, I don't know our past, but we, we don't worship symbols. Like, we don't worship the cross, right? right? We worship the man that also is God who died on that cross. We worship Jesus. But God likes to use symbols to teach us spiritual principles. 
For example, in scripture, one of the most common visual aids that describes our human spirit is the figure of a vessel. You know that? A vessel. Jesus used this symbolism to give us an answer to what the real problem, problem of man is. He made it clear that the problem of man is not outside, but within himself. And you can read that in Mark 7, where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And he's explaining to them, you know where, where, where is the uh, origin of all the words, words and everything that is wrong in the world? It's not outside, it's inside of man. It's in his heart. Because we speak of the abundance of our heart. And in Judaism, heart equals spirit. All right? Heart equals spirit. So we, we see in the Old Testament, we see all this analogy and symbolism of vessels representing the spirit of men. Here in, Roman, in Romans, Paul is saying the same thing that Jesus said to the Pharisees. It all depends, you see, on what is filling the cup of your spirit. And that's my question to you this morning. What is filling the cup, the vessel of your spirit? What it, what, what it is inside of you. But what happens when the spirit fully and truly turns to Christ as we did? When it receives the gift of God's grace. Then according to Romans 5. We learned about this a couple of Sundays ago. Actually last Sunday. We learned that the tie with, with Adam is broken. Amen. The tie with Adam it's broken. And Adam represents your old man. Your old, old lifestyle of sin. It's broken. You are not under the bondage of sin anymore. You are free. Right. Huh. And that's the spirit of the gospel. Freedom. You're free. That's so great. You are free in Christ Jesus. But you're not free to do whatever you want. You can't go back. The old man is dead. Now you, now you need to realize that it's a new kind of life for you. That God has prepared for you. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's the life that we live in Christ Jesus. Jesus called it abundant life. And its destiny is eternal life. So the spirit is emptied when, when we accept Jesus. Our, our human spirit is emptied of its satanic content, content which is sin. And it is filled again with the Holy Spirit who releases to it the life of Jesus. So our human spirit is no longer in, in, in Adam in any sense at all. You are not in Adam anymore. No. The Bible says that your spirit now is possessed, is controlled by Jesus Christ. He's sitting on the throne of your heart. He's right there. His spirit is right there. The Holy Spirit. We are tied now to Christ. Amen. You know when Paul used to speak about him being uh, crucified in Galatians 2.20? I've been crucified with Christ. And I don't live life you know, myself. Now I live life in Christ. It's Christ who lives in me. And he used the figure of the, the Romans. Used to have this. A uh, gruesome weight of punishment where they tie uh, an old man. Come on, Kevin. Come on here. You know? They used to do this kind of punishment. He was a, a dead body, right? A cadaver. <laughs> there you go. And they used to do this. They used to tie the body to the, to the, to the guy, you know, that had to 
Okay, wait a minute, man. Hey, that have to, uh, to, to suffer the penalty. And this guy had to carry a dead body wherever he went. You know? <laughs> Thank you. That's what, that, that's what Paul said. Now Paul is saying, I'm, a, I'm the dead guy, and now I'm being carried by Jesus Christ. <laughs> you are being carried by Jesus Christ. And now when you, when you think about your life, you don't see that dead man anymore. You see Christ in you. That's your new life. Christ living inside of you and changing everything. Everything from the inside to the outside. That's what Paul is trying to teach us here. The tie with Adam is broken. Now we are tied to Christ. Now, since as, humans being, since as human beings, we are composed of three parts. You know that? Spirit, soul, and body. C.S. Lewis used to say, we are not a body. We are a spirit, you know, that use a body. So we have our spirit, we have our soul, and inside our soul we have our minds, will, and emotions, and our bodies. Right now, in our lives, what we are experiencing is the struggle between the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, in our spirit, and our souls and bodies that have been functioning for years under the control of sin. So what we call, as, we, we call it like this, sanctification. You are being sanctified. You know, how the Holy Spirit is working inside of you. So he's going and he's engaging into this battle with your flesh, with your soul, with, 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 with the way you used to think before, with your emotions, you know, before Christ and everything. And everything was under, was out of control before Christ. Now comes the Holy Spirit and he's bringing order. He's bringing power. He's giving you the power to be free, to live a life of freedom. You are not you, now the ha- you right now have the power to not live any longer under the bondage of sin. So we are, experience- we are experiencing this. This is a struggle to re-educate the soul and the body. And we experience many failures until we allow the Holy Spirit to bring it under the control of the new life in Jesus Christ. It will happen. Maybe you are struggling with a, with a certain sin. And you are like doubting if you are a Christian or not. Here's the answer. Paul is saying you are a Christian. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you. What you are experiencing is the battle between the Spirit and the flesh. But don't worry. The Spirit will win. He will win. But you need to give Him the space. You need to call Him. And, give, and surrender before Him everything. Now, I often wonder what is the sign of mark of, or mark of a true Christian, you know, since we are speaking about Christianity and how to live it and what we experience. Uh, the Bible teaches us that the mark of a true Christian is his fruits, right? Jesus spoke about that, his testimony of life and the change that has taken place in him. You know, I'm seeing all this uh, election advertisement everywhere. And there's a lot of, ad- of advertisement on change, you know. It's time for a change. All right. Well, that's, that's a good phrase for us Christians. It's time for a change. A, a change in the way we think. A change in the way we behave. A change in the way we, we do things. Here, Paul, uh, we, we see Paul explaining this. And now, someone could ask, what if a person does go on living in sin, claiming to be a Christian? 
Let's not point fingers, all right? But there's a lot of people that have this question right now. Is he truly a Christian? I just saw him doing this and that. And we, we are speaking about fruits, all right? Fruits. The answer is very clear and simple. These people, people that are living in sin. Now, there's a difference between committing a sin, you know, by accident, to living in sin, where I'm just trying to hide all my sins away from the people. I just come to church. I pretend that I'm the holiest of holiest. And that's it. And nobody will know my dirty little secrets. But I have this sinful lifestyle. And I know about it. And God knows about it. I don't want any, anyone, else, anyone else to know about it. That's, that's the problem. That's different. That's a lifestyle. But we do sin. That's why we need Jesus every day. But sin tries try to come to our lives, you know, in... To attack our minds, emotions, bodies. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us to overcome sin. Now the, question, the, the answer to this question is that these people simply are revealing that they never truly have been justified by faith. And they never truly have experienced a, a genuine encounter with God. So they are not Christian. If you are not showing me with your fruits, with your lifestyle that Christ, then you're not. It's that simple. And how I know that you are. Because you will show me Christ in everything you do. That means that you, you will be 100% perfect. No way. You will not. And, I will, and me neither. The only, the only time that, that uh, we will be able to reach perfection will be when Jesus Christ returns. That this, our bodies will be glorified. You know, we will, we will be called to life. So that's the answer. It is impossible for us to continue living as we did after a real encounter with Jesus. When you experience Jesus, you are never, ever the same. You know? The first time I've, I met Megan and I fell in love with her, I couldn't take her out of my head. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and probably that, that, that happened to you too, right? You, your life is never the same. I can't be thinking about, you know, doing my own thing. I don't care about my Megan. Of course not. Because he changed me. She changed me. She changed the way I, I think. She, she changed my future. If that happens with a marriage, could you imagine <laughs> what will happen if we understand this and Christ? Wow, who is greater than anyone else? Who changes everything? Christ wants to change your life. Just come to him. Let's have an encounter with him. Now, in verses 3 and 4, Paul speaks about other symbolism. He speaks about baptism. Let's read it. Verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Here Paul is speaking about the Christian experience of baptism. Now, baptism has two meanings. When we read this verse, the first thing probably that comes to our mind is we see someone uh, in a pool being immersed in water. That's baptism, right? But that definition is not complete. Baptism in the Bible is twofold. And let me explain it to you. 
The word baptism in the New Testament has two meanings. The Christian sacrament, baptism, subsequent to conversion where the believer is immersed in water. You know? And that's something that we need to look after. We need to do that. It's a commandment. Jesus said, go to all the nations and make disciples. That's it. No, make disciples and baptize them. You know, baptize them. So it is important. If you haven't been baptized, okay, this is the year. You need to be baptized. You need to obey Jesus Christ who is calling you to be baptized. But I, I don't know. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of the water. I'm ashamed of the people. I don't know. I don't like it. Come on. It's for Jesus. Are you ashamed of Jesus? You know, baptism was the way that Christians used to identify themselves with the Lord. You know, being baptized publicly. My, my, my mom, for example, she was baptized in, in the river. In a little town of around 10,000 people. So everybody went there to check who was being baptized. Who is these people? You know, that's baptism. It's a public testimony of what happened inside of you. Now, this is not the only meaning of the word baptism in the Bible. The spiritual experience, baptism is also the spiritual experience of what the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to his disciples. And that is something that you also need to experience, that I need to experience. That If you have never experienced this, well, you don't know what you're missing. You need it. You need it. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's a, a, a topic for order sermon maybe because today we don't have the time. But when we read this passage carefully, we realize that the words used by Paul refer to something more than just the idea of baptism in water. He's also speaking about the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know? That's, what, that's his idea in this, in this chapter. Even more in, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul says this, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, Jesus and his church, that's the body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given to one spirit to drink. Clearly, Paul is not speaking about being baptized in water. He's speaking about something else, something uh, spiritual, something spiritual that we live. When you are taken and you are are right now joined to other believers and now you are one body. And that, my friend, only the Holy Spirit can do. That's something that only the Holy Spirit can do. What uh, ties us all together? The Holy Spirit. It's that, it's that simple. The Holy Spirit. In this sense, what, water baptism is the symbol that God uses to help us understand the spiritual transformation that haven't taken place inside of us. Now, the purpose of baptism is that we can understand that we have been called to live a new kind of life. That's what Paul is speaking here. You can go back to a sinful uh, lifestyle. Now you have been baptized, not only on water, but also with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Who lives inside of you. So you can't go back. There's no turning back on God. Now, verses 5 to 10. It says this, For if we have been united with Him in, in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we will no longer be enslaved to sin. Just like we, we sang before. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the death will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, there's a lot of things to speak about here in this chapter. Number one, and this comes to my mind right now. All of us here, all of us here, maybe we have been um, in a conflict with someone. And all of us here, we have in some, some way or another, we have been mad at someone, you know, one time, right? Yes or no? Raise hands. Yeah. Who have been mad at someone? Yeah, Megan, you, you don't, okay? You, we know that. <laughs> we have been mad at people all the time. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Will a dead body, you know, or has a dead body the ability to be mad at someone? Uh, let me repeat the question. A corpse, a dead body, has the ability to be mad at someone? Yes or no? Why not? Because he's dead. What will happen if you and me decide to remain dead? How that will change the way we interact? You know, that we are all the time maybe mad. Or we are, you know, we suffer bitterness or whatever. And we realize, wait a minute. I'm dead. <laughs> Why would I get mad? <laughs> I'm just dead. And my life right now is Christ. A dead body doesn't get mad. That doesn't mean that we will let people do whatever they want with us. Okay? Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm just saying that many times we just get mad of, out of silly things. Small things. We are dead. Dead to sin. Alive to Christ. The word united that Paul uses in verse 5 refers to graft a branch into another. And here we see Paul using some botany to help us understand the kind of relationship we are having with Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that our lives are now fully shared with Jesus. It's not like you can leave Jesus out of your door. He goes inside with you. Wherever you go. All the time. He's trying to describe our tie with the Lord. His life becomes our life. We are no longer in Adam in any sense. The tie with Adam, my friend, is totally broken. We are now in Christ and He is our life from now on. Just Christ. Your tie with Adam is broken. You are now, now tied with Christ. In verses 6 to 7, Paul explained what it means to die in Christ. In verses 8 to 10, Paul explained what it means to be risen with him. Paul here is tracing this parallel. Jesus was crucified and we were crucified too. That's what Paul explained to us in Galatians 2.20. It is important for us to understand what Paul is saying here about the death of Jesus on the cross. You see, sin in the believer is located in the body. Alright? In the believer, in you and me, who have decided to accept Jesus Christ, who believe in Jesus Christ, that you, are, you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have been baptized too, and you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean that... Sin is dead inside of you. You are dead to sin, but sin is still trying to, you know, get his way. What this means is that sin in our lives is no longer in our spirit. Okay? Can't 
can, it's no longer inside your spirit because your spirit now is united with Christ. But sin tries to get his way in your soul and in your body. That's why when the enemy tries to attack you, he attacks your he attacks your soul, your emotions, right? Your heart, the way you feel. Or he attacks your will, your, your decisions. Or he tries even to attack your body. You feel it. You feel the attack of the enemy in your body. But, he, but sin can't have his place. Or sin can't have a place in our spirit because our spirit is united with Christ. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Amen? Amen. Now, sin in the believer is located in the body. Therefore, it was describing Jesus in terms of the body. On the cross, his body became possessed by sin. I'm just trying to explain what we call the the, the theology of the cross. What happened on the cross? This is what happened. Sin came to Jesus and took possession of his body. His sin... The sin of all of us. The sin of all of us. That is why his body died. His body was rendered powerless with regards to sin. And that is why he was buried. In Adam, sin filled the whole of men. You know, you see that in Genesis. Spirit, soul, and body. You see the, how violence is in, increased in the world. Why? Because of sin. You see, you see the first uh, murder of, uh, in history. You know, two brothers killing each other. You see the, the separation of families. You see divorce. You see uh, diseases. You see sickness. You see the disintegration of society in the book of Genesis. Why? Because of the root of all the evil in the world. Sin. Inside of human heart. So in Adam's sin filled the whole of man. Of spirit, of soul, and our body. Therefore we had to sin. You know we had to. It was natural for us to sin before Christ. But in Christ your spirit is freed. It has been united with Jesus. It has risen with him. And is free. It is free from sin. That's what Paul makes clear in Romans 6 that sin remains as an alien power trying to dominate and control our bodies and our souls. And this is the battle that is taking place in our lives. But sin has no way, no space in our spirit. Your spirit is united with Christ. That's what he's saying right there. From here on, we do not have to sin. We do not have to sin. If we do, it is because we allow it to happen. Just that. But we are no longer slaves to sin. Not only have we been set free to choose not to sin, but a new power to resist, to resist sin has been given to us. Well, that's what Paul speaks in verse 8 to 10. Christ in us. His power is available to us. And when we decide not to sin, we have the power to carry it out because Christ is living in us. So now... What happens to us believers is that if we sin, it is because we have chosen to sin. It is your decision to sin or not. But it is not like you don't have the power to resist temptation. You do. It's Christ in you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's move on to the second section of today's message. Verses 11 to 23. Those are the final, final verses of the chapter. And it has this title. 
We are alive to God. The first one was we are dead to sin. And we, we, we can understand now what happened in our lives after Jesus, after having this amazing encounter with the Lord. But now we need to understand that we are alive to God. In verse 11, Paul says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must consider yourself. You need to, to see your life right now as dead to sin and alive to God. Now, verse 11 is the first time in the whole book of Romans that we see an exhortation, something practical to do. You know, Paul is saying, right, right now you need to do something. He has been speaking for six chapters about what Jesus did. Now he says, wait a minute, it's your turn. Six chapters, from chapter 1 till Romans 6, 10, everything was about what God did, what the Father did, what Jesus did, what the Holy Spirit did in our lives. That's amazing. He did all the work for us. Now you only need to take a decision. You only need to make a decision. And this is the decision that the Lord is calling us to make. Consider ourselves dead to sin. In other words, man, it was your funeral. Don't try to come back to life. Your old man is dead. Your old lifestyle is dead. It's gone. Now you need to consider not only dead to yourself, but also alive to God. When you feel temptation in your body, mind, or emotions, then there are two things you are to do. First, you know, we have all experienced temptation, right? All of us, all the time. First, when we are facing temptation, this, these are the two things that Paul is calling us to do. First, remember that you don't have to obey sin. You don't need to sin. You don't have to sin. You are free. To refuse it. You don't have to. That simple. You see temptation? I don't have to do this. But you know. So hard. I have my phone with me. Pornography is everywhere. You can just open Google or whatever. You don't have to. Consider yourself dead to that. And consider yourself alive to God. Second, remember God's power is in you to enable you to offer that same part of your body to Him to be used for His purpose. Hmm? Use your phone for God's purposes. Use your internet for God's purposes. Use your time for God's purposes. Use your money for God's purposes. That's what the Bible is calling us to do. That's the way we can overcome temptations. Now, of course, there will be a struggle. Our flesh doesn't want to submit to the Spirit. But in Christ, we have the freedom not to sin and the desire not to sin. In verses 12 to 14, Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So how we should deal with sin? How we should, should deal with sin? Well, in, let me share with you two practical steps. In verses 12 and 13, Paul says that we should consider ourselves dead to sin. And then make the decision of serving God with our lives. So I'm going to share with you two steps. 
You know, that will help us to deal with sin. That will help us to deal with temptations in our lives. Step one, consider yourself dead to sin. We just spoke about that in, chapter, in verse 12. But step two, you need to offer yourself to God. What will happen if you are like, okay, I consider my life, I'm, I'm done with sin. I don't want to have anything to do with sin. You know, I'm dead to sin. All right, but what, what do I do now? What do I do with my life now? You know, sin and temptations, you know, it seems like temptations are, I don't know, made stronger when we are, you know, just there not doing anything. Just like, you know, remember the story of David? He was, to, he, he was supposed to be at war. He, he was supposed to be uh, serving God, being the general of Israel armies. But he decided to stay home. He was like, I have a great army. I don't need to go there. I just stay home. I just go to the balcony to check out things. On Jerusalem. Remember the story? Suddenly he saw the neighbor. This woman was taking a bath. And, you know? And that was the, I think that's the first mention in the Bible of pornography. He was not doing anything. And he was not offering himself to God. That's the reason why he, why he fell in sin. Why he, did, he couldn't defeat temptation. Maybe he considered himself dead to sin because he had experienced God's power in his life before, but he failed to do this. That day, he decided not to offer his life to the Lord. We are called by God to offer our lives to him every single day. In verse 13, Paul is saying, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members, everything you are to God as instruments for righteousness. Now we see in verse 15, we see Paul's second question. Before, in verse 14, there was this, we read about this amazing promise. God promised to you today that sin will not, will not have dominion over you. You know, you are not under his control anymore can't govern your life anymore now in verse 15 paul raises another question he says what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace and his answer again by no means no way no 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 why paul was was like this with romans man romans the christians in the church of romans they were in the midst not only of affliction but in the epicenter of temptation Speaking about the metropolis of that time, you know, any kind of temptation available was there. And, you know, they were struggling with sin. So here we see Paul bringing some instructions. God bringing instructions to the church in Rome and God bringing instruction to us this morning. The first question in verse 1 was whether a Christian could live completely in sin. The answer was yes or no. Help me, please. Yes or no. Is that clear? Can a Christian go back and, and live in sin as nothing happened? Can he? No. By no means. Now Paul is raising another question here. The second question has to do with the idea of whether a Christian could occasionally choose to sin. But what about a little sin once in a while? There's nothing wrong with that, right? God's, God's answer. By no means. No. 
And I love the analogy in the Bible of, you know, the relationship between Jesus and the church, you know, Jesus and the bride and the marriage covenant, and I love it. You know? At, uh, you love your wife, right? And your wife loves you, all right? So would you be okay if your wife cheated on you just occasionally, once in a while? <laughs> That's a hard one, eh? <laughs> of course not. Of course not. No. Why? Because we have a covenant. You know, we, have tr- we trust each other. We, we have built a family together. You know, no, of course not. The same happens with Jesus and the church. We are called here to be loyal to, to Christ. To protect our fidelity to him. To not cheat on him. To not cheat on Jesus with my mind or my emotions or the things I do in secret. We are called to a life of purity. Just like in marriage. That's the answer of Paul by no means. Now to finish the sermon. Let me share with you. What I call the dangers of playing with sin. The dangers of playing with sin in our lives. And there, there are three dangers right here. Verses 16 to 19. This is the first danger. Sin makes you a slave. You know, the word addiction, you will never find it in the Bible. You know what is the word that the Bible used for addiction? Slavery. Sin will always try to make you a slave. In verse 16 it says, Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, Or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. From the heart, from the spirit. We talked about that before. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Now you are alive to God. And that, uh, that means that right now you have been called to be his slave. In the Greek, the word slave is dolus, which means uh, someone that willingly decides to, to be a slave of other person, right? We have willingly decided to be slaves of Jesus. To go wherever he calls us to go. To do whatever he wants us to do. In verse 19, Paul says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to, and this is the journey, my friend, we, we have all been called, sanctification. We have been created to serve a master. Do you know? Since we are little kids, we need a leader. Yesterday we went for a walk with Zoe and, and Megan, you know, enjoying the fall and the colors and everything. And at, uh, I asked Zoe to go, to go and be first, you know, to lead us. And, and I was just, you know, messing around with her and I was calling her the leader. <laughs> you are the leader. You need to tell me where to go, what to do. 
I know it's dangerous. Don't do it, okay, with your kids, <laughs> especially when you are exploring <laughs> nature. <laughs> but um, it was fun. We all need this. Since we are kids, we look at our mom and dad, and we look at them, and we are like, oh, I would love to be with, like them. Or, we, you know, we all try to find our heroes, our, our role models, because we all need a leader. We all do. Now, here's what the Bible says. You have a leader. His name is Jesus. Come and follow him. But sin wants to be your leader too. Since we are born, since we are born, we have this desire of uh, serving a master. Here Paul reveals to us which two masters we can choose to serve, sin or righteousness. In this passage, Paul also speaks of two kinds of slavery. First, he says that we have been set free from the slavery to sin. And then this passage shows us a, a basic principle of life that we must know. Jesus spoke about this in John 8. If you give yourself to a certain sin, you will become a slave to that sin. Let me repeat it. If you give yourself to a certain sin, that sin in your life will become a slave, will become a master for you, and you will become slave to that sin. And a slave is someone who is not in ultimate control of his own actions. A slave is someone who has to do what his master says. Sin is always trying to grow and become a habit in your life. That's something important that we need to realize. Sin, you know, will never uh, be okay with just being something, something that we do occasionally. We'll try to develop into a habit. You know, something that you do every day. Something that you are thinking on all the time. A habit. When a sin becomes a habit, then said sin becomes your master. And he will, and he will try to resist every opportunity you take to try to change. And he will put... All the blockages you can ever imagine. You know? I don't, he can use so many... The, the devil can use so many things to try to stop you uh, from coming to Jesus, your deliverer. Paul was right in saying that we become the slaves of that which obey. And finally... I'm so, sorry. Secondly, sin. The other danger is that sin will make you ashamed. Sin will make you ashamed. Verses 20 and 21 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Sin will always bring shame. Each of us, all of us probably, we have experienced shame at one point of our lives, right? You know, shame. Shame of doing something wrong. Shame of, I don't know, something we said. The reality is that sin always leads to shame. Now my question is, is, there any, is any sin embarrassing you right now? Maybe it is your past. Maybe it is your present. Maybe it's your, I don't know, those secrets that no one knows about. Whatever it may be. Now you have the chance. I have the chance to bring it before Christ. Bring it before Jesus. You know that when Jesus died... He died not he, he, he didn't only carry our sins, he also carried, Isaiah says this, our shame. Our shame. Finally, verse 22 and 23, Paul says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 21, Paul said that the fruit of, or result of sin is death. 
And here Paul states that the fruit of righteousness is eternal life. Verse 23 openly declares that the consequence of sin will always be death. Now the type of death that Paul is speaking here is not only the physical. He's, only, he's also speaking about the, 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 the moral and a spiritual kind of death. You know, when sin gets a hold on you and, uh, you know, uh, uh, start to control your life and now uh, have become a, a habit, you, you start dying. You start dying to the new kind of life that Jesus has given you. Now, sin will always have these effects in us. And I wrote three effects that I believe sin has in us believers when we give space to sin in our personal lives. A, or number one, sin will always try to bring darkness. We will feel more at ease away from the light of God than close to it. That's, what, that, that's why a lot of people say, well, I don't need to go to church that often. You know, I'm scared at the statistics in Canada right now about church attendance. And I'll let, let me share those statistics with you. I'm scared, I'm sad, I'm desperate for revival. All right? Let me, let, let me be honest with you. Do you know how many Christians attend church one time a week? One. Here in church, we, you know, you have a lot of days to, to pick. You have Tuesdays, we have life group Wednesdays, prayer meeting. You have uh, Friday youth. Um, you have also Friday Hispanic life group. Uh, Sunday morning, you know. But you know how many Christians in the nation are attending church once every week, at least? 19%. 19% only. You know what was the number in 1946? <laughs> Long time ago, eh? Canada changed. You know what was the number? 69%. And then we are thinking on what is going on with our nation. What is going on with our society. And we blame the devil. And we, and we blame this and that. But the reality is that we as Christians, we are not being salt and light. If we can't commit ourselves to attend church once every week. What fruit am, am I showing to the world? In Alberta, our Christian province, amen? You love Alberta? You know, I love Alberta. I love it. Makes me feel at home, especially because we have the best meat in the country. <laughs> amen. The statistic, you know what is in Alberta? How many Christians attend church? One, one at least once every, every week? 11%. That should speak to our hearts. Here's Jesus calling us, you know, to, to have a faithful relationship with him. To meet, to have an encounter with him every day. You know what is the, the thing? Sin tries so hard to get you discouraged. To control you. To control your, your, your decisions of even attending church. Because sin brings darkness. And you know, when you are in darkness, you don't want light. Oh, I don't want to be close to the light. Secondly, sin brings limitations. 
Sin limits us and will always try to stop and abort the purpose that God intended for our lives. You know that God has big plans with you? Amazing plans. Eternal plans. You have been gifted to serve the Lord. To bless other people. To preach the gospel. To share the good news. To do the work of the gospel together with other believers. To change lives and families. Could you imagine one day being in heaven and maybe someone will, you know, Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? I'm sorry, I'm praising the Lord right now. But come on, we have eternity to do that. I need to talk to you. You know that I'm here thanks to you. Because you, you, you sang a song that Sunday, I still remember. Or because you invite me to your house one day and you pray for me and that opened my heart to come and know more about Jesus. You know, there's going to be a lot of witnesses of what you have done. And right now there are witnesses of what you're doing on earth. There's a spiritual world around us. Angels are watching your actions. God is watching your actions. The enemy is watching your actions. That's why we need to know that sin will try to... You know, bring a limitation to what you can do for the kingdom of God. And finally, sin will bring corruption. Our spiritual life begins to decay and suddenly we no longer want to come to church. We no longer want to read our Bibles or pray. Because our Christianity, our faith, have been corrupted by sin. Now, what can I do to get out of this state of bondage with sin? If I'm seeing all these effects in my life, what can I do? Well, Paul is speaking in this chapter about the road that we need to take to go back home. The road that we need to take to go back to our freedom in Christ. The, you know those very first weeks or days after you encounter Jesus? Or years. How? The journey is called sanctification. And, there, and there's a couple of things that we can do. First... We need to come back to Jesus and repent of our sins. This is the ABC of Christianity. Repent. We need to repent of everything that we have done, said, thought, and come to Jesus. We need to renounce our sinful habits and ask God for forgiveness and claim the blood of Jesus over our lives. Second, we need to allow ourselves to experience God's free gift in Christ Jesus, which is grace. Accept God's forgiveness. There is no sin He cannot forgive. You know, he loves you so much. That's, that's why it's impossible to understand his love. Third, you need to believe in the power of the gospel. Jesus has the power to set you free from any sin. Four, you need to make the decision of serving God. I need to make the decision every day. I learn it today. It's not only considering myself dead to sin. It's also to offer myself to God every day. As today we learn, we're called to, to, by God to present ourselves before him as his servants. So... I need to make service to God a priority in my life. And finally, I need to learn to obey God in every area of my life. Maybe I will need to ask for help. Maybe the, the area is marriage and I need help. Or maybe it's something personal that I need to confess. There's power in when, when we confess our sins. You know, maybe you, you, you can call the church. Maybe you can come and talk to Pastor Roy or, Pastor, or, or, or myself or... Any other spiritual leader that you trust, that has fruits, spiritual fruits in his life, that has a testimony of life, that back up his ministry. That's what we're called to do. To get out of the bondage of sin and enjoy the freedom in Christ. 
So as a sermon conclusion, I invite you to have a moment before God to think about your life. I invite the, the, worship, the worship team to, to go to the altar and prepare a song for us because we're going to have also communion. But I invite you right now to have a moment before God to think about your life and how are you personally dealing with sin. It's a moment just to think about you. Before we partake of communion, how is your life? What are the temptations with which you are dealing the most? Now, is there any sinful behavior or sinful habit in your life that could be having a hold on you? You can't trust the Lord on that. He wants to set you free. Today, we can pray and ask the Lord for His forgiveness. You know, you can do it right there, just with your eyes closed and say, Lord, I bring before you this, that, what the Holy Spirit puts inside of your heart. You know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Why? Because the Holy Spirit convinces us that we need Jesus, convinces us and makes us confess our sins. That's why we find freedom in Him. He wants to touch your life. He wants, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to turn upside down the statistics. And he wants to do it now. He wants to do it soon. But you know, he wants a faithful church. Jesus wants a faithful bride. Today you can ask Jesus to help you understand the power of his presence inside of you and surrender before him. Your mind, your will, your emotions. You can pray and ask the Holy Spirit to use your life as an instrument of righteousness. And today you can also give thanks to God for His love, mercy, and forgiveness. I invite you to close your eyes. And if you want to take a step today of commitment, a higher commitment to holiness, a higher commitment to sanctification, a higher commitment to your life in Christ, because maybe today you... you you have heard the, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And maybe it, it, it was clear for you that uh, you are dead to sin. But maybe it was not clear to you that you need to offer yourself to God as a, as a living sacrifice. Today is the day to do it. And I would like to help you. I would like to pray with you. So there in your chair, I invite you to close your eyes. And with faith and honesty. And I believe this is the word the Holy Spirit puts in my heart right now. You know what God is longing the most for His church? Honesty. In a marriage, you know what we need? Honesty. With God, you know what we need? Honesty. Don't hold anything back from Him. And I invite you to pray with me today. Father, I come before you asking your forgiveness I need you I need you I need to experience your power forgive my sins I repent from anything I did I repent of any from any sinful habit I renounce right now in the name of Jesus to any sinful habit and today Lord 
want to use my faith and make the decision of following you with a higher level of commitment. I believe that I'm dead to sin. But I believe that I'm alive to God. And Lord, help me to bring many to you, to show your love and forgiveness, the same love that I'm experiencing right now. I want to bring it home. I want to bring it to my workplace. I want to bring it to my community, to my school, my college. And I want to see others come into Christ when they see the testimony of your love and forgiveness and grace in my life. In Jesus' name. Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, they gave them he gave he gave them some instructions about the lord's supper and he said for i received from the lord what i also passed on to you the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. The ushers will be coming to you. They will bring the elements of the Lord's Supper. I invite you to take 